As we've investigated the murder of Don Bowles for close to a year, we've been fortunate to speak to a number of amazing journalists, from Richard Ruelis to Jana Bombersbach, and most importantly, Don Devereaux. We've been led down a labyrinth of evidence, cover-ups, and staggering revelations. Whenever a journalist worth his salt is given information, you attempt to confirm those leads through other sources. The person who we believed could confirm a great deal of the evidence brought forth in episodes one through eight was Kathy Colby. After months of trying to get Miss Colby to go on the record, she agreed to speak with the Greek on a number of topics related to the case. As coincidence would have it, the interview took place on June 2nd, 46 years to the day that the bomb went off under Don Bowles' car. As I stated in earlier episodes, Kathy Colby was a close friend of Don and Rosalie Bowles. Little known fact, shortly after the attack on June 2nd, 1976, it was Kathy Colby who was tasked with bringing the Bowles children to the hospital to be with their mother and father. That was just the start of an almost two-week odyssey for Kathy and the Bowles children. As the kids spent time with their mother at the hospital, Phoenix PD pulled Miss Colby into a nearby room with an urgent message. They were concerned the kids could be the next target. Kathy picks up the story from there. They'll go after the kids. So you've got to protect the kids and we can't give you a police escort because that would be too apparent where they are. So you go take the kids into your car and you drive them home and you go through stoplights and the police in town will know not to stop you. We're putting out the word. You drive, to, you do not stop. You do not stop for a red light. You do not stop for a stop sign. And you get them home and don't go any normal way that you would go. And when you get them home, lock every door. Don't pull the blinds. We don't want to make it look like they're there but put them in an inside room where they can't be seen. Do not let them go outside. Do not answer the door. Do not go outside to get your mail. Do not do anything that would seem to be abnormal. And we'll be in touch. And my understanding is your, your house was almost like, a, to say under police protection would be a gross understatement. I, I believe you, you said you had like police helicopters above for 11 days and, and armed officers at every entrance and window to your home. Oh, we had three armed officers that, and they came in shifts around the clock. And there were machine guns at the entrance to every door. Um, my car was locked and taped so they would be able to tell if anybody opened a door or did anything. My goodness. And there was a helicopter. I thought that was a bit much if they were trying to pretend we didn't have the kids. Why is the helicopter there? I couldn't right. understand the logic. But the helicopter would come and go with great frequency. It was going up and down the neighborhood a lot. Um, we could not. It was hot. June in Arizona, I couldn't let the kids go outside at all, even to go in the pool. We had to stay inside. Uh, I couldn't leave to go to the grocery store. I could not leave the house. There were some peculiar decisions made, but 
most of it was to try to protect the kids. Wow, but it seems like just the, the chaos surrounding everything going on in those first couple of weeks was just immense. One of the reasons I have been willing to be interviewed so many times and been willing to testify is because I heard things because the police were there and they were detective level, at least some of them. And their walkie-talkies were informing them of things that were happening and I was listening. And what I know is what was being published in the paper was not the truth. And what I questioned was why? They were not telling the public the truth. Well, was that to protect Don? The things that weren't true weren't things that would have protected him in any way, uh, or his kids for that matter. I, I just, from the beginning, I had this terrible feeling of everybody is lying. And what I'm reading in the paper the next day is not what is happening. And my husband would come home and I'd say, what are you hearing at work? And then he would tell me things they were telling them to say. And I said, but as a newspaper reporter, are you telling the truth? Are you investigating on your own? Do you know that what they're telling you is true? Because I don't think it is from what I'm hearing. And I knew a lot more than he knew because of what I was hearing on the walkie-talkies. I, from the beginning, of course, was worried about my friend. I was worried about the children and my main concern, the widow who's my good friend, uh, who I'm talking with on the phone and what she's telling me is not. I mean, nobody seems to be telling the truth or at least no, no two stories are the same. And so the widow's saying some things to me that are different from what my husband's telling me he's being told is different from what I'm hearing on the police calls. So the one thing I've tried to make clear i have tried to help in every way i can i do not believe we yet know the truth i would agree with you on that i'm glad you brought that up because i feel like one of the things one of the narratives that is so easily disproven is the narrative that was pushed out there i'm assuming by don's bosses at the republic immediately after all of this happens which is he had become burnt out on the investigative journalism beat and didn't want to do it anymore and was no longer investigating people. Yet, I mean, something as simple as the, the police reports immediately afterwards, what Rosalie tells them that he was investigating the Funks, the Mafia, Emprise right up until his death. Well, I can, I can attest to that because he was telling me every bridge game we went to and every time we were together, he would be telling me about all these interviews he's doing. Then that, that last night when we were together, just before the bombing, he is telling me, yeah, I just had this meeting. I've got the goods, I've got your guy, I've got the story. I know how, I know, I know who's doing what. I know how it's playing out. I know who's gonna go down. He was excited about yeah. the work he was doing. Now, he also told me the paper was trying to get him to stop, and they didn't want him doing it. And his immediate boss was the only one who was encouraging him, and he's the only one he was giving the information to. And that's the guy who supposedly committed suicide 
at about that time, right after Don died, supposedly his boss committed suicide. I don't believe that for a minute. I'm glad you brought up Tom Sanford because I really wanted to discuss that with you. And and I, I, if you could, obviously being someone who spent a lot of time around Don Rosalie, I'm sure you had a relationship with Tom Sanford. If you could explain to the listeners the the trust and the relationship between Don and Tom Sanford before his death. Let me correct. I did not know Tom other than socially. Right. I, okay. I didn't. I did not. Uh, I saw him at newspaper parties and functions. He was not a personal friend or anybody who I knew well. I met his wife and him at functions, but. No, I did not know Tom well. What I knew was how much Don trusted Tom Sanford. He trusted him with the information. He had given him his files. He, he was the guy who knew what he was working on. Don felt the paper was trying to make him stop the investigation and get him to stop being an investigative reporter. They were trying to get him to take another job at the paper and not continue in this. So the newspaper was trying to make him stop the investigation. Tom was all in favor of his staying with it and knew what was in his notes. So it's really curious that the but it is being said that Tom committed suicide, yes. especially when I heard Tom's voice telling the widow. Yes, and I'm glad you bring that up because I have the legal affidavit in front of me, and I was hoping you could tell our listeners about that morning on January 25th, 1977, when you were sitting, I believe it's, let me read it, the kitchen table at Rosalie Bowles' home when Tom Sanford called. And I, I was hoping you could retell that scenario and what you heard as Rosalie Bowles let you listen in on the call. I prefer not to go into those details. I've given it to the police. Okay. I've been interviewed in the courtroom. I've told them everything I know. Okay. I understand that. I Absolutely. I, I really respect don't that. And who, what I think is another murder. And I, I, it's too many years later. It's all in the records. I don't want to try to restate it from my memory now. Totally understand. I'd like to ask as a follow-up, you and Rosalie Bowles, were you both of the opinion that this was another murder, that this was not a suicide? Absolutely. Okay. Did the two of you ever discuss the, the way that the investigation, the, the road it was headed down, that... Uh, the state's theory was that uh, this was all about Don writing a negative story about Kemper Marley, and that was the reason for his murder. Did Rosalie ever discuss with you whether she bought into the state's theory or not? I would prefer Rosalie talk for herself okay. on that. I never bought it, but I don't want to characterize her beliefs. And uh, you've mentioned it a couple times, and Don Devereaux and I spoke about this. I was unaware that in 1989, when the state decided they were going to take another crack at this, when the grand juries were impaneled, that Don Devereaux was called before a grand jury, and you also spoke in front of the grand jury. While I understand you may prefer to avoid discussing what some of the particulars were that you uh, talked about in front of the grand jury. Could you just talk about that experience? Well, I'd never been questioned in a grand jury. Everything related to the Don Bowles murder was a first time for me, so I, I guess that wasn't unique. But you don't ever want to have to testify before a grand jury. It, it is stressful. It's very serious business. Everybody there is very 
serious. I had the strong sense that the room was filled with people who really, really wanted to get to the truth. But I didn't have the feeling that I was being asked questions that got to the truth. I didn't feel good about the opportunity for me to tell what I knew. The questions were very limited and not particularly insightful. So at the end of it, my feeling was, I'm not sure who is really going to get to the bottom of what actually happened. This didn't seem to me to be leading there. You almost echoed word for word what Don Devereaux told me, that he felt that the questions he was being asked were steered in a way that he could not give all the information he had because they weren't asking the right questions. Well, to the point where some of the information I had was because I was hearing the voice of people I knew as they were talking to Rosalie. And of course, they were saying everything I heard was hearsay, even though I was hearing it firsthand. He was the person on the phone. There were, if they wanted to get to the truth, I had information I was willing to share. I mean, I would share everything and anything I knew to be the truth, but I wasn't asked very many questions that I thought were very important. I'll never forget that one of the questions I was asked, this is years, you know the date, is it more than a decade after? They asked me about the driveway at their house and whether or not the driveway was in front of the house or to the side of the house. Now, I'm dyslexic and I don't want to testify more than a decade later how somebody's driveway was positioned. And I believe they were doing it to try to because they knew I had important information to try to corner me into giving false information about the driveway. And they probably had done their homework and knew I was dyslexic and might give a wrong answer. I was just really annoyed by stuff like that. Look, if you don't think I'm capable of telling the truth, don't ask me the questions. But I'm not going to play geometry games with you with the positioning of their driveway. I, that's the game they played. And, and this was people who should have been trying to help find the truth. Instead, they were trying to take someone like me who, who had a lot of information and make me not a credible witness is what I felt. Uh, Mr. Devereaux said the same thing. And, and this is just an opinion question more than anything else. But why do you feel that even when the state of Arizona had a second crack at this to conduct what I would consider a, a righteous investigation, they chose to double down on something that seems to have more holes than a slice of Swiss cheese? Because very important people didn't want the truth to come out. I have no doubt in my mind about that. I'd like to circle back really quickly before I let you go about Tom Sanford. And this is nothing about what you told investigators or anything like that. But, uh, you know, in speaking to Mr. Devereaux and doing my homework, it's pretty apparent that Don Bowles was giving copies of vital investigative materials to Tom Sanford to have, so he could have backup. And it's my understanding, according to the, the legal affidavit that Janet Sanford signed, that all of, not only all of Tom Sanford's investigative materials relating to the Bulls case, but the copies of what Don Bulls gave him. 
disappeared from their home around the time of his alleged suicide. Had, had you ever heard anything like that? Yes. The only copy, Don told me there were two copies because I, I was concerned for him, for his safety. And that night I was concerned for all of our safety with someone following us. Um, but I was also concerned for the truth being protected. So I asked him, if anything happens to you, where would your work be found? Where would this truth be? And he said, I give Tom a copy of everything I'm doing. And I put information in my file in the Capitol, right in the file in front of where John and I sit. So we see it there every day. And it's in the Capitol and the Capitol is protected by police people and it should be safe there. Well, John Colby told me that within a half an hour of the bombing, Bill Shover from the newspaper came and took all that and removed the entire file cabinet. Personally, came and got it. Wow. So I cannot draw any... Well, I can. I, I think it's for others to figure out why that happened. Supposedly, all those files were lost and never found, but I know who took them. And I can imagine they weren't read by that person and others. Uh, it's amazing that you tell me that. I've heard from a couple different sources, and you may or may not know about this from your conversations with Rosalie, that shortly after Don finally lost his battle uh, and passed away, that Bill Shover and uh, uh, security from the Arizona Republic uh, visited the Bulls' home and did the same thing with any files that Don had at his home. Quite shockingly, uh, and I would, well, I, I shouldn't express my opinion on it. Yes, you're right. Rosalie told me that. I wasn't there when it happened. I didn't see it for myself. But Rosalie talked about that incessantly she when did. she realized she shouldn't have let it happen. You know, in general, obviously, this is kind of a touchy question because your late ex-husband worked for the same family and, and obviously the, you know, Don worked for a long time for the Arizona Republic. But, but a lot of their actions seem more about covering their backsides and ever getting to the truth. And it, it's something that I've, I've really been shocked and disappointed by as I've investigated this case over the last year or so. Let me tell you one fact that might give you a picture of what the relationship was between the widow and the newspaper. They discontinued her subscription to the paper two days after Don died. I mean, that's a fact. She did not get very appropriate treatment, to put it mildly. There was a lot of really bad stuff that went down, and I have no respect for what the newspaper did and didn't do. They did not help Rosalie and her children in ways that they should have. Mm -hmm. All the time that they were at my house, not one single person from the newspaper brought any food. I mean, I couldn't go to the grocery store. I couldn't leave. The kids couldn't. They brought nothing. Nothing. No games or toys. Nothing. The, the, the lack of um, a modicum of concern for protecting the money that was being donated that went into a fund that Rosalie had no access to. She wasn't a signer on the account that was money was given to her, named for her. 
and the newspaper controlled all of it. They would tell you a totally different story. The story I know comes from what I saw happening to the widow and children, and the paper was not helping. Who's going to tell that story? First of all, nobody knows it but the widow and and made living through it. Um, mm-hmm. I lost all respect for my husband's employer. And I'm a journalist. I'm a trained journalist. And I believe in the importance of the freedom of the press. Their reporters did not have any freedom of the press. They were told what to write. They were edited carefully. The journalists at that newspaper were being told what to write. The things that weren't true in the paper, I, I don't blame the writers, because they were, their jobs were at risk. I, I, I really need to be careful what I say because it really affected my personal life. You are far from the only person that has told me similar things about the Republic. I did want to ask you to confirm this. I heard an interview with Rosalie that I believe it was from a podcast in 2019 in which she stated that Don was so dissatisfied in the months leading up to his passing that he was actually going down to Tucson to interview with the Arizona Daily Star about leaving the newspaper and becoming the investigative reporter in Tucson. Did you know that he was interviewing for other with other newspapers trying to leave the Republic at that point? Yes. Uh, Don told me that when our families were together. He didn't say it in front of John, my husband, but he was telling me he, he was done, disgusted. He said, they don't want the truth. I want to go someplace where I'm paid to report the truth. They don't want the truth at this paper. And he said, they're going to end up firing me anyway because I won't play their game their way. I wasn't sure how much of that was just bitterness over personal stuff. I didn't have enough information at that time to really know what to believe. But I now, uh, I can tell you, he, he was not planning to stay at the paper. He was looking for other options. They were telling him he was going to be a stringer out of Tucson or someplace, but he was not going to continue to be paid to do investigative reporting. And he's told me on that ride, you know, they're going to try to stop paying me to shut me up and get me out of town and stop doing it. And he said, they're not going to shut me up. I know too much. And and I can sell this story to someone else. And speaking with Devro and Jana Bombersbach and a few others, their investigations point to the story being the skim money from the Greyhound Park being used in that gold theft ring at Motorola. That's what... Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I won't go into details. Don went into details with me. But yes, it's that story. And it, it's corruption at the top and businesses and government, the newspaper. And what I wanted to ask you before that was, do you think if Don walks into the the offices of the Arizona Republic with this massive story, do you think that ever sees the light of day in the Republic? Or do you think he sells that to a different, whether it's a newspaper or a national magazine? I believe he was doing a little bit of stringing for maybe Newsweek or Time Magazine back then as well. Uh, I never knew if he was playing me or not, big dealing that that it was going to be a national story and it would be in Time magazine. And, you know, I just had no way of being sure when he was being a bit of a braggart and when it was the truth. Much as I liked him and enjoyed him, there were times I wasn't sure because he couldn't give me specifics. He just big deal me. Mm -hmm. 
And it was after he died I realized he did have the truth. And I wished I could have believed him more when he was alive. And I wish somehow I could have been more supportive. You know, my anger toward the paper is very deep. And my feeling about some of the people in Arizona who may have protected the criminals involved in this and harmed innocent people, I now feel innocent people's lives were destroyed when there were people who knew it was lies. That's as bad as protecting the people who were the criminals. When I went to D.C. years later to the Journalism Museum, I didn't know there would be a Don Bowles exhibit. I was kind of aware of it, but it wasn't the only reason to go there. But when I walked in and saw the car that I had ridden in, and they had that car there where he had been bombed, and then they have this very large display of story, and the whole story in this museum filled with lies. I, I can't tell you how troubled that makes me, that they not only lied through local journalism and the story of Don in Arizona, but a national journalism museum accepted lies. They bought the story they were told. How could they not see? They didn't believe Don. They didn't believe his story, and they believed these people who fed them lies. Yeah. And they put in a museum, and that's a journalism museum. As a journalist, I'm appalled by that. Yeah. I'm appalled that all those journalists came to town to do this big investigation. By the way, nobody, none of them interviewed me. Really? None of them, no, no. They interviewed my husband, who was paid by the newspaper to not tell the truth. But nobody interviewed me, and I'm the one that had been with Rosalie and had sat with Don the night before it happened in the car. And it was just interesting to me how much did who get paid to do what that the lies are in the National Journalism Museum and why have no journalists done a story about those lies right there in their place. There's just a lot of things that, that have been so wrong and I feel so terrible about having believed some of the lies that I know now know hurt people that were innocent. Why haven't the stories come out that have said that some of the people who were blamed, publicly blamed, were proven innocent? Why have journalists not written those stories? Why have they not helped those people, those families? In the Arizona, who've had to live with the thought that people think that someone in their family murdered Don. It's just wrong. And I feel so, so, so sorry. I was there when the governor told Rosalie, here's the truth, here's what's happened. It wasn't the truth, and he knew it wasn't the truth. So many people lied, and so much damage was done to good people. And the people, the criminals who did it, I've never had to pay the price. Again, I know too much. It hurts too much. It's really hard for me to revisit this. I understand, and I appreciate your time. I really do. I appreciate that you're trying to find the, the truth because nobody has published the truth Yeah. Uh, to the extent that it needs to be. And I know they're doing the movie, and I hope the movie is powerful, but this... 
state, this city, this newspaper, this community owes a lot of people apologies. And I don't think anything will be right here until we correct the wrongs that were done. I think there needs to be a cleansing and a coming to the reality of the truth has not been shared. There are only a few of us who really know the truth. Tell the truth and get the public to realize what this community did and how wrong it was and how many leaders were involved. I mean, the business leaders, government leaders, uh, and I'm going to say some people in the police department, and I'm, you know, the people who knew Dunlop wasn't the bad guy and let him go to jail. There's just, there's work that has to be done before this community can be cleansed and it needs to, it needs to deal with it. Uh, the truth needs to be told, even at this late date, it needs to be told. So thank you for what you're doing. We'd like to thank Kathy Colby for speaking her truth to power on topics in the players that are obviously very suspicious, to say the least, and dangerous for her to discuss. As season one comes to a close, our investigation has unearthed many controversial, if not damning statements from the people most closely associated with the murder, and we find ourselves with more questions than answers. Key issues are still unanswered, and this is where we will be focusing our attention for season two, with questions like, why were Max Dunlap and Kemper Marley chosen as the fall guys for the murder of Don Bowles? What were the real reasons behind the former owners of the Arizona Republic settling the lawsuit with the Funks then removing Don Bowles from the investigative beat. Why won't the Arizona State Attorney General's office release all the investigative materials? And why do they continually steer the investigation back to the Marley theory? Our work is far from over. Lastly, be on the lookout for bonus episodes beginning next Friday.